0: Our first lesson is taken from Isaiah chapter 25. Isaiah chapter 25. This beautiful picture of what's coming for God's people. Verses 6 through 9. On this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, For the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day. Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And you can join me on that if if you want. You can thank the Lord too. Uh, Our gospel lesson is from the gospel according to Matthew chapter 24 beginning with verse 3. We'll remember that Jesus' disciples were admiring the majesty of of the temple and Jesus is warning them that all of this is going to pass away. Verse 3 of Matthew 24, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? In other words, when will the destruction of all of this take place? They want to know the end times. They want the charts, you know. And Jesus answered them, see that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I'm the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because of lawlessness, and because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Let me read that again. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come and the word there as you know i'm sure for nations is not the kind of nations that we think of today conglomerates of ethnic groups the word here in the new testament is ethne from which we get ethnic group this gospel of the kingdom he's saying will be proclaimed to every people group every ethnic group that's why the promise of revelation, the vision is, around the throne were gathered those from every tribe and tongue and people and nation singing the song of the Lamb. The gospel of Christ. Thanks be to God. And now our text for this morning. We finished studying First John last week, and we're going to do a series in Advent. In Advent, we're going to be those four Sundays, looking at the genealogy of Jesus found in the first chapter of Matthew and see how all of the incredible brokenness described there was what God used to bring his son into the world. But for now, we're going to just look over the next few weeks at a couple of my favorite texts and Drew's favorite texts. And uh, so this morning, we're going to go to what is perhaps my favorite chapter in all of the Bible, Romans 8, and we're just going to be looking at the middle passage, but remember that Paul in Romans 6 talks about the fact that God has dealt decisively with sin once for all, and sin no longer has dominion over us, so now we are free from sin, but then in Romans 7, he talks about the bigger problem that we have, and that's with our righteousness, What we think is our righteousness. And he says, no, all your being good, all your attempts to keep the law cannot save you because once you understand the law, you'll realize that this thing that was supposed to be life-giving kills you and the cross, which was supposed to be death-giving, is what saves you. And then he begins, he cries out at the end of, of chapter seven, who will deliver me from the body of death? And chapter eight begins, thanks be to God because there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then he'll end this eighth chapter again with this tremendous word of confidence. What can separate us from the love of God? Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. In the middle, he talks about the wonder of our knowing that we are children of God when we cry, Abba, Father. He says that's God's spirit in us, testifying that we indeed are God's children. But then all this good news has a solemnizing moment when he says he's made us heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, if we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with Him. And then these tremendous verses that we're going to look at this morning. Beginning with verse 18 of chapter 8, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God The Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do do not know what to pray for as we ought. It's an interesting construction there. Paul literally says we don't know the what to pray for. So this is a great translation. We do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And it's in that context that we then have this beautiful promise. And we know that all things, that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. The word of the Lord. some texts it's hard to say that when you've just read a strong condemnation of the way that we live than to sit and say thanks be to god i think but that's one where we can say it full-throated full hearted i want to talk to you this morning about the theme of these verses which is groaning for glory I grew up in a part of the church, I think probably a lot of you did too, because it really marked 19th century, or 19th century, I'm not quite that old, but the the 19th century evangelical themes that had come into the whole evangelical movement when I was a boy in the middle of the last century, the 20th, Um, and it was the great 19th century uh, spiritual writers and evangelists and uh, people God had raised up and used, people like A.T. Pearson and uh, Andrew Murray and all the group gathered around uh, D.L. Around Moody and A.J. Gordon. These people who so powerfully called us to, uh, to live in a way that glorifies God, but their focus became so much on the second coming and a particular teaching about that that people began to get the idea that what we were yearning for, we were holding on here trying to get as many people into the boat as possible, but that our destiny is heaven. And that's our true home, and lots of songs written about This world is not my home, I'm just a-passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven, and And there are, there are truths to that but it's also profoundly misleading as to the biblical teaching, as I hope to show. I remember growing up singing those songs and being raised in that context. Uh, My father, as I've told you, was a pastor, and it was back in the days, even when I started in ministry, it was still the days when we had Sunday morning, Wednesday night, Sunday night, three services. And Sunday night was usually Uh, in my experience, set apart for a red-hot eschatological gospel preaching uh, time. Bring bring your friends who don't know the Lord, and we're going to, you know, really preach the gospel. And I remember my dad was a southerner. He was a poet. He was a great narrative preacher. He didn't always get details straight. My mother was the most brilliant one in the family. She knew her Bible inside out. She never missed on a fact. And when I was little and sat next to her, any time that dad would make an error in fact, I would feel her go rigid and wonder, <laughs> okay, what did he just say wrong? And one night he'd finished this, this sermon on, this earth is not our destiny, heaven's our destiny. And he ended with, you know, as, as that old hymn says, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as a star. And when he said star instead of sun, I felt my mother almost go catatonic. We've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first got the heart that is (laughs) prayer. Only only a Southern preacher can do that. But as I got older, I had to face the fact that in my own heart, I, I couldn't join in the eagerness. I used to think, even as a child, everything that I love about being alive is here. It's that summer blue sky with the big puffy cumulus co- clouds reflecting off a mountain lake. It's, it's the beauty of what we're going through now, the beauty of autumn as the air grows crisp and the leaves begin to change color. And that wonderful smell begins to come of fallen leaves and, and the promise of what's coming, the holidays, the times around the table with the people we love eating Food, touching one another, holding hands, embracing those you love. It was a physical, tactile thing, that first snow that turned a dirty city into a a wonderland, glinting, glistening beauty. And then spring, the earth once again coming back to life, and the flowers and the trees blossoming, and the promise. I, I mean, I thought... My idea of heaven was basically having to sit around all the time listening to somebody like me. And that, to me, sounded more like hell than heaven. I I just, as a child, I thought everything that I long for is here. And yet, as I grew older and began to see people whom I love get sick and suffer the ravages of, of time, sickness, death, as I began to run and realized that the things that I'd longed to taste and touch and see when misused and abused led not to freedom but to bondage, as I began to become disillusioned and saw war and saw hatred and oppression, I still had this and have this deep love of this good earth even in its brokenness but realized that there had to be something more. And as God drew me back and I began to study His Word, I realized that heaven in the abstract is for God's people an interim state, not a final state. Our destiny is not to be disembodied spirits in an, in an unmater- immaterial, <laughs> it is immaterial, in, in a non-physical heaven. We see the, the saints in glory beneath the throne crying out to God, how long before you finish this thing? They wanted things restored. That was the promise. And I realized that the entire theme of the Bible was moving from the moment When in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, that's a merism that stands for the entire cosmos. And it ends in Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, a new cosmos. And the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven as a bride adorned for her husband. And God will come and make his home with us. And he will wipe away all tears and there'll be no more sorrow and sadness. And he said... Behold, I make all things new. And that's what we see in this text. This is the groaning. And I just want, you've already seen it here, but to think for a moment about each of these groanings, the first in verse 22. Paul says that this creation itself, if we had ears to hear, if we had understanding, the creation is groaning like a woman in labor. This is what Jesus was talking about, we read in our gospel lesson when he said, all these awful things that you see happening are but the birth pangs. It's just this beginning and the creation itself is groaning. Poets capture this without perhaps meaning to when they speak of the mournful murmur of the waves, the sigh of the wind, the bloody tooth and claw of the animal world, this violence and death set loose by our sin. Because we were supposed to be God's priest kings, tending the earth and offering it to Him. And here's the universe groaning because it has been delivered over to entropy. I remember one of I, I would it's not a a physics pro like all the founders of this church. I think it's the only church I've ever encountered that was founded by physicists. It's just remarkable. No wonder it's here. Uh, A physicist in one of my early congregations was trying to explain to me, he said, John, the first law of thermodynamics says you can't get something from nothing. And the second law says you can't even break even. But that's entropy. We're not even breaking even. This place is running down. And and yet this isn't the final story. What God has in store for this cosmos, I've told you before, that I loved when I began my New Testament Greek studies to discover that the most familiar verse in the Bible, John 3:16, says literally in the Greek text, for God so loved the cosmos. The word there translated the world is the word for cosmos. He so loved everything that he had made that he sent his son to make it all whole again, to save it all, you and me, and those lakes and rivers and mountains. You say, but aren't they gonna pass away? Yes, so are you and I. If you have the plan that I have, you're going to be reduced to ashes. I used to tell my kids, cremate me, sprinkle me from an airplane, and look for me in the weather report. But, but God intends to raise us up, even those whose bodies millennia ago just turned to dust. He will make us new, and there will be continuity and discontinuity, but that's what we're looking forward to, not just for ourselves, but for the world. And so when you think about eternity, I would invite you as you groan in the midst of of what's going on around us, the, the sadness of division and all of the rest, realize that everything that you have most loved here, you will one day be able to enjoy in fullness, Envision a mountain lake so cold and clear you can't even imagine it now. Flowers revealing spectrums of color that we can't now see. Fragrances that will just amaze and delight, and we won't have to then go and take flonas or anything. I mean, just a cosmos restored without the brokenness of sin. That's the destiny of the children of God. That is the destiny of this cosmos. And it is groaning for that day of glory. Then in verse 24, he turns to the believer and says, not only is the cosmos groaning, but we, if we realize what's coming and have eyes to see the brokenness around us, in prayer we'll find ourselves groaning also for that glory to come. The older I get, the easier it is for me to pray that. But when we're in the midst of life and things are going well and we have our, our spouse, our children perhaps, or dear friends around us, we're enjoying our work and all of that, it can be very, very difficult to groan for glory if we're just thinking of ourselves because you think, Good, goodness, I can't imagine it getting better than this. I remember sometimes preaching on texts like this and going home and saying to my family, I believe that, but I don't feel it because I can't imagine being, ever being happier than I am right here at this table with you all. But that's, you see, a taste of what's coming. And if we've eyes to look beyond our own situation of relative freedom and comfort, to look at the rest of the world, to think of people in Ukraine right now who are groaning for glory. people in China who are Christians who are being, who so, such a short time ago, were enjoying freedom and thinking we're going to be free again, who are now being deeply oppressed. I may have told you I was, I was so encouraged and used to go in and out of China a lot in my ministry. I had Christians there whom I met with through Asian Access and would be over there two or three times a year to do conferences with them. And I met one time with Jamie Taylor, who is like the great, 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 great grandson of J. Hudson Taylor, the great missionary to China, who opened China up inland. And I said to him, isn't it just marvelous what God is doing in China? And he just shook his head. He said, I'm not happy about it. And I said, what are you talking about? And he said, all of my Chinese leaders who are friends now want to be like American Christians and have great big churches with all kinds of things. He said, American-style Christianity cannot reach the rest of the world where, in the 1040 window, where churches aren't allowed. He said, it's the Chinese who have mastered house church. The greatest, most rapidly growing church in the entire history of the church is the church in China. And it mastered and gave us the house church. And he said, that's what's needed missionally throughout the rest of the world, to reach every tribe, tongue, people, nation. And when things began to turn south again for the church in China, I wondered, Lord, is this actually your mercy for the rest of the world? Are you making them once again groan for glory and go to other people who are groaning for glory? and show them how to be the church no matter what's going on around you no matter what pressure and oppression is going on but if you and I in our prayers will ask the lord to help us at least once a day to pray missionally to pray beyond our own setting and as we look at the world and think of the world and there are all kinds of there's a wonderful little app by operation world you can get It will tell you every day the country to pray for. It will give you information about that country, about what's going on, how many Christians, uh, uh, that whole thing. I mean, there's so many resources available to us every day to pray for part of the world and realize how much of the world is groaning for glory. And we can at least in that moment pray with them and groan for the coming at last of the King of life who will make all things new. And we aren't going to be disembodied spirits, brothers and sisters, we're gonna get our bodies back. There is only one glorified person thus far, and that's Jesus. And those whom we love who've gone on before us are now free from sickness, free from pain, free from sin, free from all that would come against them, but they are not yet complete. They are not yet glorified. Only Jesus has a glorified body. Those people whom Jesus raised up had to die again. I mean, I I don't know how happy Lazarus was having gone through death to have to come back and die all over again. Those were just resuscitations. Only Jesus has risen, and He's a picture of what awaits you and me, the living God, God's Son has joined himself to us not just for the 30 35 years that he was here he's joined himself to us forever he is forever in a human body now glorified but still bearing the scars of his sacrifice on our behalf and i've told you all that i hope that in that day i'll at least get my hair back but going to be glorified so it'll be good, whatever happens. Final groaning. And this is the surprising one in verse 26. When you and I are groaning, when we realize that we're joining the cosmos and it's groaning, God's Spirit is groaning. He says, when we don't know the what to pray, when we don't know how to pray or what to pray or what to pray for, and we're just left There before the Lord, saying, Lord, I don't even know how to pray about this situation. In those groans, the Holy Spirit who dwells within us is groaning through us and turning those inarticulate cries of our hearts into prayers according to the will of God. And the one who intercedes for us at the Father's throne is receiving those prayers and praying them on our behalf. This cosmos is groaning for the day that's coming. Christians, when our heads are screwed on right, and we realize what awaits us, no matter how much we love the life we're living, realize that we should be groaning for what's coming because it so exceeds all that we could ask or imagine. And then we realize that God himself in His infinite compassion and mercy, by His Spirit, joins in our groaning. There is, in one of my favorite scenes in the Bible, forgive me if I've used it before, I'll use it again, but it just, for me, so captures this. Jesus met a blind man, and you remember He touched him, and the man said, I see men now, but they look like trees walking." And Jesus touched him again, and he could see clearly. The great old Puritan theologian and Pastor John Owen said the first touch is grace. The second touch is glory. And no matter how great has been your experience of God's grace heretofore, You and I wait for the second touch. And that will be joy unspeakable and full of glory. Father, how we thank you for the promise that you've given us. That for us in Christ, no matter how deep our groaning, and in fact through what we suffer and through the groans, that you are going to make all things new. And we at last will know your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand?